0: We're continuing our series in the parables that Jesus spoke, and for the past two weeks we dealt with the topic of forgiveness. And we can all agree that it's not an easy topic, and we need help when it comes to forgiving others. So as believers, we have to realize that we have the help in the Holy Spirit, and part of tapping into that help is actually asking in prayer. So today we're going to look at two parables dealing with the topic of prayer. Jesus is teaching what our composure should be as far as prayer goes, and that is persistence. And we're also going to look at some of God's character traits when it comes to his children actually praying to him. So we're going to start right off in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And it starts off and it says, And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend, will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So now we have this strange little story, okay? It's a strange little story, as a lot of the parables are, right? A strange little story about a guy that has a friend come by, and he has nothing to feed him. Then the guy goes to see another friend of his and says, hey, I need some food to feed my other friend that stopped by. So the guy that he asks is like, listen, it's late, okay? I'm not opening the door. I'm not going to give you anything right now at this time, So the guy asking won't give up, keeps asking, eventually the guy being asked gives in, and it's not because he wants to, but it's because he wants this guy to stop bothering him, okay? So this guy's bothering him, he gives in because the guy is bothering him. Have you ever agreed to do something something, or given in on something because you just wanted the person to stop doing what they're doing? Okay, If you're a parent, you know that, right? Okay, If you're a parent, you know this feeling. I'm just going to give in because I don't feel like dealing with them any longer. Or I'm going to give in because this kid is so persistent, and I know this will never end until he or she gets, gets what they want. So what is Jesus teaching in regard to prayer? Because now at first look, we think, okay, is this saying, if you bother God enough? You're going to wear him down, and then he's going to give in. Do you think that's what this is teaching? If you bother God enough, if God's like, again? Okay? Like, seriously, you're asking again? Don't you get the message? I'm not doing that? Do you think that's the lesson? Well, in this parable and the next, Jesus is teaching then about the character of God, the Father, when it comes to relating to his children in prayer. So basically, we have the child, which is us, and the idea here is persistence in prayer. But then what we're going to do is we're going to see the character of God come to us, because Jesus is using these parables to kind of show us. So first thing that Jesus is going to teach us is the Father is there to answer. God the Father is there to answer. So now let's look and see how this goes on. And he says this. This is right after the parable. He says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open." So the concept taught here is not that Jesus is a genie in the bottle and you make a wish and he grants it. The concept here is God is there and he's willing to answer those that call on him. Now, the first thing we have to realize is this, those that call on him as far as salvation. Now, in, we know the truth of the gospel is that we are all sinners, and Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus rose from the grave three days later, and pro- that was to prove that he was God, and he says, all who believe will have eternal life. Well, some of you might remember the apostle Paul said this, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So basically now when we take this, ask and it will be given, seek and it will find, knock and the door will be open to you. The first thing we have to look at is is salvation, right? Okay, God is never going to say, oh, you? I don't want you, okay? Like if you're seeking God, if you're asking, if you're knocking, okay? Jesus is saying, okay, listen, everyone who calls on my name will be saved, But I think in this parable, it goes a little deeper than just our salvation. Because after we believe, he is there for us, for every single one of our needs. So when we ask, when we seek, when we knock, okay? Now, how many times in your life as a believer did you have a need? Did you have a concern? Did you have a desire? Did you have an issue or a problem? And you totally forgot to bring it to God. Has that ever happened to you? Okay. You, something's going on in life. And you're, you're trying to fix it, right? Okay. You're hit with it. And you're like, oh, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And then you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. I have a father in heaven who is saying, ask, seek, knock, come to me. You know what? This may happen to us more times than we're willing to admit. But we go through life, especially being American Christians, right? We go through life, and most of our needs are pretty much met. I mean, when we read, like, you know, like, give us this day our daily bread, do any of you really stress about food? Okay? Maybe preparing the food. Maybe going to the grocery store and dealing with all the people. But seriously, none of us are ever like, where's my next meal coming from? Okay? None of us are like that. So the truth is this. When we have needs, when we have desires, when we have issues and we have problems, Jesus wants us to realize that the Father is there every step of the way and he will give you an answer as to how he is either going to meet that need or what you need to learn while you're going through the situation. Let me say that again. On how he's going to meet that need, or what you need to learn. This is the one we don't like, right? Okay. We ask God, we're like, please, 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 please. And then he doesn't give it to us, whatever it might be. And then we're like, ah, you know, God didn't come through this time. You know, I asked wholeheartedly. I was persistent and God didn't come through, but part of God coming through may be, I need to teach you something. And realistically, none of us want to learn in the school of hard knocks, right? None of us want to learn that. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll admit, you know, I'm like, okay, I want to learn through everybody else's experience. I heard that story. Okay, God, I'm going to learn that. Okay, I read that in the Bible. I'm going to learn that. But then all of a sudden, when we're in the seat, when an issue, a problem, something comes up, we're like, please, God, don't have me go through this. Don't let this happen. Fix this. And God is like, well, part of fixing this is you actually learning some things through it my goal is to change you that's what he's basically saying so then jesus teaches us the next thing because now we're thinking okay well if i ask god and then he doesn't do what i want to do what i want him to do and then he's like trying to teach me something okay i don't really feel like learning anything like i didn't really like school when i was a kid anyway you know you just you start to go through all these things and then you're like wondering like god what are you doing like, why do I really need to learn this? Like, this actually hurts. I don't really like this right now. But the next thing Jesus teaches us is, as far as the character of God goes, is that the father is good. He goes on in Luke chapter 11, and it says this. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give, give of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those that ask? So he starts with a question. Obvious answers, okay? Weird, right? Okay. Dad, I'm hungry. Can I have a fish? No. Here's a serpent, okay? I'm going to give you a snake instead. Like, what a weird dad that would be, right? Okay, so this is a bizarre thing. But again, Jesus uses the bizarre to do what? Capture our attention. Okay, what, what father, if the kid asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? Then he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts. So he addresses them, and he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts. So basically, now what's happening is this. He's addressing the people and saying, you who are evil. Now, why does he call them evil? Were they a bunch of evil people surrounding him? Or why does he call, in some senses, this is really directed towards us, you know, you who are evil? So basically, simply pointing out that sinful people know what is good and what is not good. And not even in our lowest times of sin, do even in our lowest times of sin, we kind of know how to give good gifts, okay? You take your average unbeliever, right? Your average unbeliever. And they pretty much have a sense of right and wrong, don't they? Well, part of that is God placed that in their hearts, right? This, like, sense of justice. So Jesus is saying, hey, listen, guys. You who are evil know how to give good gifts. How much more do you think your Father in Heaven knows how to give good gifts? God is good. And one of the best gifts that he gives us, he tells us right here, right, is the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So I don't know if you realize this. I'm sure you probably do, because if you've been here for a while, you probably do. One of the benefits of salvation is the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside us. So when you trust in Jesus as your Savior, one of the benefits is the Holy Spirit comes to live inside us. So the truth about the Holy Spirit is that he is an answer to all our prayers, but he helps us in those answers. Okay, so every day now, you as a believer, so let's just backtrack. Remember you were asking God for something and he didn't give you exactly what you wanted and then you realize like, ah, the answer to my prayer is that I got to learn. Okay, the answer to my prayer is God wants to change something in my life. So now you're thinking, I'm not ready for this, God. I'm not ready for this. I don't feel like doing this. And I know some of you have been there. I know I've been there. I don't really feel like this right now. But that's where we tap into the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's there every day to help us, to guide us, to comfort us, and to remind us of the character of God. Maybe in your life you've been through something where you're, like, the answer to the prayer is you learning something, and it's something very difficult. And people say to you, I don't know how you do it. And you're like, me either, but the Holy Spirit is the one that's guiding me through this. The Holy Spirit's the one that's helping me. The Holy Spirit the, is the one that's comforting me. The Holy Spirit's the one that's reminding me of the character of God. And no matter what's going on in my life, I have to say, God is still good. No matter what's happening in my life, he's there to answer me. He's still good. It doesn't change. Like my situations, your situations, don't change the character of God. Oh, God's not good anymore, okay? Okay. That's not how it works. But we all know this to be true, but sometimes, we're going back to this, we ask and we do not receive what we ask for. Sometimes we seek and do not find necessarily what we're looking for, and sometimes we knock and it seems like no one's answering. Have you ever been there? Maybe your prayer's been years and years and years, and you're like, okay, okay. I'm not getting many answers here, and I'm not even sure what I need to learn. So now Jesus, in some senses, now what he's going to do is he's going to answer that with another parable, which also focuses in on the persistence of the person praying, but it reminds us of the justice of God when it comes to his children, and that is found in Luke 18. It starts off one through three. It says this, and he told them another parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Remember that line, okay? To, To the effect that they should always pray and never lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. It says this, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down with her continual coming. So you see this widow, she just keeps on coming back, going back. And he's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. I, I got to get rid of this lady. So then oh, I'll go back. So another parable really about persistence in prayer. But in this parable, Jesus uses this bad judge as an example. We see a widow asking for justice, right? Well, why did Jesus pick a widow? Okay, Why did Jesus pick a widow? Well, probably because they were the helpless and marginalized in that society. And if you could not find it in your heart to have compassion on a widow, that says a lot about you, okay? Like the, the marginalized and the weak in society, if you could not find it in your heart to have compassion and help, I mean, that would be like today. If you knew there was a widow down the street and she was, you know, Up on a ladder cleaning her gutters, and she's like 85 years old, and you you drove past me, like, that's not gonna turn out well, and you just kept going, okay? That type of person is not the type of person that has a heart to help people, okay? So here's the thing in this parable, it wasn't out of compassion, though. Notice, it wasn't out of compassion. This bad judge, it wasn't like, oh, I feel bad for her. What did he say? I'm sick of being bothered, okay? I'm sick of being bothered. Again, this is not to say that our prayers bother God, but it is to show if an unrighteous person can help someone in their time of need, even having the wrong motives, how much more can our perfect Heavenly Father help us? Think about that. If an unrighteous person in a position of power can help someone in their time of need, even if their motives are totally out the door, how much more does our perfect and heavenly Father help us? So now we find out the last character trait of God, and it's in Jesus's explanation, and that is this, the Father is just. Now he goes on to say, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect? who cry to him day and night, this is the persistent prayer, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So now we see God's justice. God the Father is just and brings justice for his elect. That's it, the believers. Or in other words, his children. Now we, we can connect this all to last week when it comes to forgiveness. Because some of you might have realized last week when we were talking about forgiveness, like some of you heard it and you're like, that's good, that's good, yeah, yeah, okay, like next week. But some of you that were struggling with forgiving somebody, it was a tough week for you, okay? It was a tough week for you because maybe you've been thinking, I have forgiven someone and it was so difficult. But it doesn't seem like they're changing at all. And on top of that, I feel like they got away with no consequences for what they did. Have you ever felt like that when you've forgiven somebody? You're like, it doesn't really seem like they're sorry. They're getting away with this. It doesn't seem like there's any consequences for what they did. This is when we have to remember that God is just, okay? God is just. God will bring them to justice. No matter what someone has done to you, God will bring them to justice. You just need to trust that. Now, when we step back and look at the whole of the issue when it comes to forgiving someone else, okay, God is just, right? So if they maybe are a believer or become a believer, what is justice as far as paying for the sins? That justice is is jesus paid for their sins if they're a believer but if they're not a believer guess what justice is this is what people don't like right you pay for your sins but know this like i said last week someone always pays so if you've forgiven someone maybe they're not a believer and you feel like they've gotten away with something they've done something to you and and you're like but you know i know the lord wants me to forgive I know the Lord wants me to forgive, but it really just seemed like they burnt me here. Well, know this. God is a just God. He protects his children. And he's just. And justice will be instituted. This is when we have to remember that God is just and God will bring them to justice. You need to trust God. And you you need to trust that God knows what needs to be done. So then Jesus closes with this at the end of verse eight. It says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Okay, do you think Jesus knows the answer to that question? I think he does, okay? Nothing gets by him, okay? So why does it say this? This is a curious little verse on the end. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, this is a question for all of us, the readers, the people that are hearing this. This question is for all of us, and it's basically, will he find enough faith in us that we are so persistent in prayer? Will he find enough faith in us that we are so persistent in prayer? Which brings us to the question, what does a persistent prayer life look like? Now, you might be thinking right off the top, It doesn't look like my prayer life, okay? It does not look like my prayer life. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can probably all admit that our prayer life could probably use some work, right? Our prayer lives could probably use some work because sometimes we get discouraged. You know what, you might just pray for something and it might be years and years and years and be like, I really don't feel like anything's changing here. So you just kind of get discouraged. Remember, he says, don't lose heart says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. So here's what I want to do. I want to close with a brief list of what a persistent prayer life should look like so that we don't lose heart. Because prayer is, it, it seems like the easiest thing to do, but it becomes very difficult. And in some senses, because of the spiritual warfare going on around us, the last thing That Satan and his demons want believers to do is actually talk to God. Yeah, that's the last thing. He has no power over us, right? Satan and the demons have no power over our salvations. We're saved and secure. We're going to heaven. But where he does have his schemes is to kind of make us ineffective. And guess what? Christians can render themselves very ineffective when they forget to talk to the Lord. When they get discouraged and stop talking to the Lord. When they think, or when we think, prayer has no power. So let's look at this list. The persistent prayer life should be, first, it should be biblical. As believers, when we pray, we should pray biblical prayers, meaning that when we're asking God, we should ask him things that do not violate his word. We should not ask with wrong motives, okay? So basically, you might be wondering, okay, I have this decision to make, and unfortunately, the decision is at work, and part of that decision is me being dishonest. So I can tell you right there, biblically speaking, what does the Lord want you to do? He wants you to be honest. So don't go to the Lord and be like, okay, Lord, I have this decision to make, and I'm going to be dishonest here. Uh, Can you please bless me? Jesus is going to be like, yeah, right, okay? I'm not blessing that terrible decision. Why would I ever do that? But not only that, more so, I mean, that's pretty basic, more so is, what are your motives? What are your motives? James talks about this. James 4.3 says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We ask wrongly to spend it on our passions. Now, if our motives are not pure, God will not honor those prayers. Now this does not mean that we can never pray for personal needs, but what it does mean is we should check our motives as to why we're asking in the first place. Okay, and this goes very deep. I mean, there are so many ways we can go with this, but what you just have to remember is, you know, where am I before the Lord? What are my motives in asking for this? What are my motives for whatever it is? Maybe it's a purchase. Maybe it's a job transition. Maybe it's a school issue for your children. Whatever it might be, you have to ask God, like, first, like, what are my motives? Like, why do I really desire this to happen? What are my motives? Does God have something better? Does God have something different? Does God have something that I'm going to more take the backseat seat? And someone or something else is going to take more of the front seat because it's going to bring God the glory. I can't answer all these questions for you. These are things that you need to answer with the Lord. But James says, you ask and do not receive because you ask, what? Wrongly, okay? Wrongly. Maybe you've been praying for something for 5, 10, 20 years, and you haven't received it because God's just like, well, your motives are just, they're not there. They're not where they need to be. So I'm not going to grant that because it's not going to be helpful for you. And we have to remember that, okay? Now, you know, some people might just think, oh, God doesn't want me to have this. And it's like God's kind of mean and he doesn't want me to have this or whatever it might be. No, you have to remember, he's good. He's there to answer. He's just. So then we have to say to ourselves, okay, whatever God's answer is, is solely to bring him glory. But it's also for my benefit. And some of you here might realize that there's things that you asked for or wanted and God did the exact opposite. And then you look back and say, huh, that's interesting. This was better than what I thought I wanted. And God's like, duh. Okay, of course it is because I'm in charge and I know what's best. Next, the persistent prayer life should be consistent okay? Consistent. Now, Romans 12, 12 says it this way. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. There's a lot here. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. Things are going wrong. But then he says, be constant in prayer. This is one thing you need to be constant in. Now, how consistent should our prayer life be? Well, I think the scriptures teach us you should pray every day, okay? When Jesus was here on this earth, right? What did he do? He prayed to the Father every day. Doesn't necessarily matter what time, although morning is ideal. That's what Jesus did. It says he snuck away, right, so he could be alone before everybody else got up, so he could be alone and spend time with the Father. The idea is consistently conversing with God the Father on a daily basis. Consistently conversing conversing with God the Father on a daily basis. Now, part of consistency for you might be organization. Maybe you would benefit from keeping a prayer journal. Some of you might have a hard time just sitting there and praying, or standing and praying, or kneeling and praying. Some of you, like me, I like to walk and pray. But some of you might have a hard time, so you might benefit from journaling. Rather than just sitting and talking, you might write to God. And one of the good things about organizing your prayers like that is, guess what? You can look back and ask questions. What did God do? You know, because a lot of times we're guilty of this, and I know I am, okay? You pray for something, pray for something, pray for something, it happens, and you're just like, yep, that's right, okay? And then you just go go about your day, and you forget about God's grace in that area, Then something else comes up. You're like, come on, you know? And then God's like, well, remember back there? Remember I took care of that, 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 and 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 that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Forgot about all those things. When you go to your prayer journal, you go look and be like, wow, this is amazing. God really is there to answer. He really is good. And he really is just, he really does take care of all these things that I've learned from his word. So part of consistency might just be keeping a prayer journal. Another part of consistency might be setting an alert on your phone. You have these phones that go off all the time for every dumb thing, right? Okay? Why not just say, okay, you know what? I do. I, I, wanna, uh, you know, I get up at 6 to go to work or whatever. You know what? I'm just going to set an alert on my phone that you know, that's timed perfectly right after I'm done getting myself ready that says, don't forget to pray. And guess what? You're going to do that, right? If you do that, and you might be like me, like when I get alerts, like I put important alerts in my phone so I don't forget things, and then sometimes I'm like, ah, I wanted to forget that. I don't feel like doing that. And your prayer life might be like that sometimes. You're like, okay, now I got to stop and quiet my mind, and I don't feel like doing it. I have so much to do. I got to get on the road. I got to, well, you know what? Set that alert, and guess what? Eventually, you won't even need that alert anymore because it will become so part of your daily routine that you'll actually do it. You know, now some people say, well, you don't want to be too militant about it. You don't want prayer to be routine. It's like, well, I think you do want prayer to be routine, okay? Routinely talking to the one that loves you. Routinely talk. think about it. Think about that, routinely talking to the one that loves you, and here's what happens. You start to look forward to those conversations because you realize you need those conversations. The idea is consistently pray. Now, finally, the persistent prayer should be accepting. You may have been going to God about something, about the same issue, maybe for a very long time, and it's not changing. That does not mean that you stop praying for that or stop praying altogether right? He says, don't lose heart. Because sometimes when people pray for things and they don't see the answers right away, they just say, eh, I tried prayer and it hasn't really worked for me. I've had believers say that to me. Very immature believers say that to me. I've been praying, but it doesn't really work, okay? Well, what does work look like? What does that prayer work look like? So it doesn't mean you stop praying altogether. It probably means you have to accept that what you're praying for may not change, and now you have to deal with what that looks like for you. Now, this is a tough one when it comes to loss of a loved one, right? Because the truth is, we're all going to lose a loved one. We hate that, right? We're all going to face someone in our life getting sick and passing, and many of you have done that, right? And you realize, like, you could pray all you want, but Jesus isn't going to bring him back, right? So now you have to say, well, what does this look like for me? What does going on without this person that I love so dearly look like for me? See, not getting the answers that we want should not harm your relationship with God. It should actually make your relationship with God stronger. Because really, at the end of the day, it is you and the Lord. And He'll never be taken away from you. And you always have that relationship with Him. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Interesting, right? People ask you, What's the will of God for my life? People ask me this all the time as a pastor. Pastor, what's the will of God for my life? I'll tell you. Give thanks in all circumstances. What? My circumstances sink. You expect me to give, God, give thanks to God? Well, that's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, listen. You know, part of your prayer life is accepting and giving thanks. You know what, Lord? I'm learning so much. I've found new ways to minister to people. Some of you have gone through things where you're just like, and God's saying, give thanks. And then all of a sudden, people start marching your way that need the words that you have to say from God's word. And you're like, wow, I would have never had this opportunity I mean, one of the main ministries that we have here is Grief Share, and you know what? That's a bunch of people that get together that are grieving the loss of loved ones, and guess what? There's a few people that rose up and said, I think my grief can actually help someone else while they're dealing with their grief. What an amazing thing, and nobody's like, yes, I lost a loved one, but we can realize that we give thanks in all circumstances and we can help other people so they can see the Lord so we can help them know who Jesus is or know him in a deeper way. So this means we accept this because it's the will of God for us in the situation to give thanks in all circumstances. So now as believers, we should be persistent in prayer and have faith that God is there to answer, that he is good, that he is just, and we remember that we don't lose heart.